In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every field For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room Welcome. I invite you by invitation, so please feel free to say yes or no. But I invite you in this moment, if you feel guided and in agreement with this, to take a deep breath. Feel the chair that supports you. Feel your lungs as you take in a deep breath. And as we move into this presencing prayer, what I invite you to do is to set an intention, an opening at your heart center and at your intuitive center, that core that lives right behind your belly button, right there. That intuitive knowing center. As we breathe deeply, we activate both of those as well as our intellect so that all three centers of intelligence within the body, in this moment, I welcome their openness, that we come together in peace and the clarity, guided and expanded and lifted by this beautiful harmonies that we've just witnessed and heard, that, not, <clears throat> that do not just become a mental activity upon mental activity, but become an experience. It is a gateway to the infinite, to the divine, to that quantum field of opportunity. And so in that, as we come together, what I set my own intention is that I become even grander and more available to this divine presence that is seeking expression. And what is mine to be expressed in this moment that creates the highest value for each person here as well as for myself, I give thanks knowing as I step into gratitude now, having placed my intention, spoken it out loud in front of you and having it witnessed, thank you for your yes to know that something powerful and beautiful and wonderful is happening beneath the words and upon the music for each and every one of us, that we are deepened and transformed moment by moment, breath by breath, step by step. I give thanks. I tell this beautiful little inner voice of mine that is the, the niggler and the, the, the naysayer. I just look at it with love and tell it it's time for a timeout. And I put it into the corner of my awareness with love, with grace. Thank it so much for all the beauty and joy and concern and worry that it carries for me, but no longer necessary. And so I practice this. It is time out. I listen at a deeper level this day so that the consciousness that is present here and now by means of our coming together makes itself more readily available and it becomes the experience. So I give thanks this day, this moment, for this beautiful, mystical, transcendent, transformative teaching that invites all of us to continue to practice, to open, to deepen, and to express greater joy, beauty, and possibility upon this planet.
that this opportunity for heaven is given birth this day in our hearts, our minds, and our awareness. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Well, welcome. I just want to... um, let you know this is not my first time here even though I have a red cup but the only color cups back there are red so I took one in case you're here for the first time it's not my first time Uh, but it does tend to stay warmer in the ceramic cup I also want to thank my wife Laura I I parked my vehicle outside she got up every hour and a half last night and started my car for me so that I could get here and be with you today so that's sweet of her not really but I'm just (laughs) But I did ask her, and she said, sure. I thought, well, that's sweet of you. So, But it was cold getting up every hour and a half myself, I have to tell you that. So 2015, preparing the field. Our theme for this year, as Reverend Catherine so beautifully shared with you, is what do we, do we grow from here? Where do, where do we go as a community? Where do we go in our lives? As Dr. Holmes said, it can only go where we decide it's going to go. We have to choose. Or we, can, or we can not choose and live by default, which many people do. Holmes said that once we start to step on the, the spiritual path, we, we take ourselves out of the realm of probabilities, which is 50-50. Might work out, might not work out. But once we start to understand how to relate to this power for good, this unseen force for good, and to work with intention and also to listen deeply. So I want to share a little bit of that with you today because I think it really does prepare the soil of our consciousness in a beautiful way. What do we grow from here? So preparing the field of consciousness, first of all, we have to set an intention. We have to select the crop that we're going we're gonna to plant. We all know that as gardeners, we go to the store, we go, Laura and I will go in the springtime and we'll buy a bunch of plants that are already started and then we'll, we get to decide where we plant them, but what the plant is, is the plant. And our choice is, are we going to give it enough sunlight, are we going to give it enough water, all those things that come into play. Selecting the crop, turning the soil, preparing the soil. So how do we do that in terms of our consciousness? How do I turn the soil of my own consciousness so that it becomes more fertile and, and, and potent? And one of the things I love about what Dr. Holmes had to share with us is that so much of that lines up so beautifully with the transformation of our consciousness and creating that, that fertile soil of possibility and then tending the conditions. Not only selecting the crop, setting the intention, and, and, and selecting and, and creating that soil environment that is most fertile, but also then continuing to tend it. Because it's easy to let the weeds of, of disbelief and doubt and worry and fear and anxiety creep back in. So all of that and more is such a wonderful metaphor for what I believe we stand for. Could I see the next slide, please? Dr. Holmes said this, that the, our divine plan is one of freedom that we are here to to live in freedom. That freedom is the birthright of every living soul. You and I, everyone, no one is excluded from this. And yet so many people, as he said, that the thing that frees us is the very thing that that binds us or makes us feel bound or trapped. Because we've chosen, even if we're living a life that feels trapped and, and hopeless and helpless, at some level, we have agreed with that. And it's not to blame or shame if that's part of your experience because it's been part of my experience. But, but what I love Esther Hicks, she always says, you've got to have contrast. I love Esther. She's just so, so beautiful. She says, you've got to have contrast. If you don't have contrast, how do you choose joy over sorrow? And, and it's so true. It seems so funny, doesn't it? But, but it truly is the human condition. And so many people, once they discover sorrow, decide that this will be the, how they identify themselves, not realizing that, geez, this is so uncomfortable. I'm going to move over here. I'm going to move over on the continuum of celebration and joy, despite conditions. 
So <clears throat> freedom is the birthright of every living soul. Holmes talks about this in the Dr. Holmes, Ernest Holmes in the Science of Mind textbook, that, that all of us have this capacity to tap into the inner voice. That intuitive, he talks about the joy and the celebration as we tap into this. So I'm going to share a story with you in a moment that I think reflects it so beautifully. That is one of our, one of our contemporary stories that reflects so beautifully what Dr. Holmes talked about, um, you know, almost 90 years ago. Some respond to God more than others. What's that all about? You know, what? some people have, looks like better lives. Some people's lives seem to work like all the time for them. Why doesn't my life work like that? And so it's not that God is arbitrary and capricious, which, you know, God is a punishing God. I was raised with that. But the idea is that, that as we respond differently to this divine presence, this divine, the sacred available to all of us, our conditions shift and change. But the last place it shows up for all of us is in the conditions. And then, of course, <clears throat> there's one law that we all individualize. Once again, that as we impress upon it uh, consistently, over time, cultivating the crop, cultivating the, whatever it is we've planted or not, or giving up on the crop, saying, it's never going to happen. I must well go back to the, way I, the habitual ways of thinking. So many times it requires being sort of shocked or uprooted in a way that feels very uncomfortable. So I want to show, the next slide shows a picture of Dr. Eben Alexander. And he's an amazing guy. Um, one of the things that Dr. Holmes said that I think reflects so beautifully with, with Dr. Alexander's uh, story, he's the author of Proof of Heaven and Map of Heaven. And we have both of those books in the bookstore if you're interested. One of the things Dr. Holmes said that lines up beautifully with, with what has happened to this man, and I'll tell you his story in a little bit if you don't know it already, is that by spirituality we mean the world of conscious intelligence. And they say the exact same thing. So what happened to Dr. Alexander, um, November 10th, 2008, he started to feel not well, and over a very short and impactful period of time, he was, his neocortex started to disintegrate. It was being attacked through grand mal seizures of his body because he had developed bacterial meningitis. And so there's a picture of the brain here I wanted to share with you. So the big part up there that looks like a worm or a little gardener snake all wrapped around, that's the neocortex. That's the high-functioning thinking, reading, uh, recognizing one another. There's so much that happens up there. That's the neocortex. And his neocortex was basically compromised to the point that he had a, at, at the, the epitome of his, his illness, uh, he had a 2% chance of surviving and a 0% chance of recovery. In other words, he might live, but he would never function at the same level as a doctor and be able to do all the things that he'd done. He, would, he probably wouldn't have the ability to speak. So many of these things that the neocortex does that the scientists, science would measure um, looked like he was not going to regain any of that. So he went into a state of, of uh, a coma. He went into a state of unconsciousness. And I don't know if you've read the book. The first book is Proof of Heaven, which chronicles his experience and the medical research around it and, and some of the beautiful things that happened for him. And then Map of Heaven sort of is his journey in trying to understand the experience. One of the things that happened as he recovered was that uh, he couldn't remember names and relationships. All that stuff had been compromised. So it took him a while to come back into an awareness about his daughters or his sons and family, his wife and those sorts of things but made a full recovery. So his brain was under attack 
And he said it's the perfect way, it was a perfect example of how what we think of as the brain and the brain function of actually dying and, and having this experience. Because what the scientists will tell you is that without the neocortex, there's no stimulus, there's no, um, in, there's no exchange of, of stimulus within the, the knowingness of the, the, the individual. And so it was interesting that he had this, this uh, near-death experience and came back with all these memories when, in fact, the thing that science would tell us would record the memories, memory, uh, was not available to him. So it's quite fascinating how, how beautifully orchestrated this was, that some infinite intelligence within him. And he came back when he was in the, well, first of all, when he was in the experience, he, 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 was in, he called it the earthworm stage. When he first made his, he sort of transitioned out of this life, uh, he started to float into the other realms, the realm beyond this, this dimension. And as he transitioned in, he found himself in the earthworm state. He said it was like dirty jello. He found himself in this experience of dirty jello, and he said there was no time or space, so it was really hard to measure how long. But he, and it's interesting because the, the Buddhists call it the bardo, the intermediate stage. The, the Buddhists would refer to that as the place we go to between lives. Uh, I was raised in a Catholic tradition, and, and that would be referred to as limbo. But what he found himself was in this intermediate stage. And then over time, we don't know how long, but of course he was in a coma for seven days. But he had no way to measure that at the time. All of a sudden, he said this beautiful light appeared. And then there was this music accompanying the light. And he was lifted up into these realms. He called them the ultra realms. That it was so real, beyond what anything that he felt was real in this dimension. And he went up into higher and higher and higher realms. It's fascinating to read his experience. And, and it's not so much in opposition or in contrast to many of the other near-death experiences you can read about. One of the things that he did when he came back, because he said he didn't read any of this stuff, he knew nothing about it, he was, um, his method of inquiry and, and learning was through deduction, through a very scientific method. But his son, who was a young adult, said to him, before you read things, because he wanted to understand what had happened to him, he said, before you get it, start reading things, Write down everything that happened from your recollection. As you start to, to remember what went on, just write it down. So he said he spent the first six weeks coming back, writing down his experience. And then he started to explore. And so what happened to him was that, that he realized that what he thought for the longest period of time, which I think really relates well to preparing the soil. Many times to prepare the soil, we have to take out the crop that's already there so we can grow the, the new crop. Even if, we, even if we grew corn last year in our garden, we have to plant new corn. It doesn't, the old seeds don't longer uh, will produce what we're looking for. So we have to cultivate it, we have to cl clear the land, and we have to plant new seeds. But for him, everything that he understood in terms of his, his, uh, his career, he was 20 years, he was an academic neurosurgeon. He was then top in his field. He had 15 years at the Harvard Medical School. And his father, his adopted father, uh, had practiced medicine as well. It was a tremendous influence on him. So he had this experience, he wrote it down, and he realized that there's a power, this power and presence, this consciousness is non-local. It's everywhere present, as we talk about. It's non-local, and, it it and it is at the core of everything. So it was very enlightening and, and eye-opening for him that everything he knew, all the crops that he had nurtured, no longer had value for him. There was something new and different and, and powerful happening for him. So what he discovered with the brain as he had this experience, because he always felt like the brain, the brain was the thing that created consciousness. He always thought consciousness came from the brain and he realized having this experience that that was not true. The brain is a filter 
as he discovered, the brain is a filter that limits pre-existing consciousness. So what happens when we take form, Plato said the same thing, he said the act of being born is the act of forgetting. And I think it's because we're, we, we need to be fully invested here and now. In other words, there might be a tendency for us to sit this one out if we knew that Jesus, this, I'm just making all this stuff up anyway. And so it's really, it, it requires, I think the forgetting requires our full investment in this experience. And so it's quite interesting how we're sort of hardwired to forget. So the, the brain is a, is a filter that limits a pre-existing condition. It filters, <clears throat> so what it does is it, 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 it shrinks down the, this ability and capacity to tap into that realm. The other realms, the teacher Jesus said, there are many mansions in my father's house. I believe he was referring to levels of consciousness. It, it clamps it down to a trickle, a little bit of a trickle. And I know from, that's been my journey, is all of a sudden I've had this little experience, I go, wow, that's amazing. Holy moly, what was that all about? I can't, and I can't tell anybody about it, because they'll think I'm crazier than they already think I am, so I'll just keep it to myself. One of the mistakes he said is that, and, and he spoke to this as his own mindset until all this happened, is that the, the mistake is that all that I know is all that is knowable. So, and I've met many people like that in my life, that, you know, it's not... Listen, I know this, so it's knowable. And what you know is I don't know, so what you know is not true for me, and on and on and on. And, and really, it is a capacity to always expand and to always grow, to welcome the new. We, it's a mystery, and it's a deepening, and it's a... He, Holmes said we shall never encompass infinity. This is what we're talking about, the quantum field of infi infinity. He said we sh shall always be expanding and enlarging. That's our divine nature. But it's easy when we adopt the mindset that all that I know is all that's knowable. Well, where's the room for learning there and growing? And it doesn't mean we throw everything out all the time, but it's a progression of deepening and growing. And I just love that. I resonate with this idea that we're all beautiful works in progress. And as we expand our filter to take it from a trickle to maybe a little bit of a stream, all of a sudden things look different. Holmes would say that the, that the acquisition of new powers and higher possibilities is what the expansion of consciousness brings. This is exactly what Dr. Alexander is talking about. He also says, though, the mistake is that all that I know is all that is knowable. He said it requires us to show up for our lives, to simply show up, to pay attention, and to understand that. And once we start to partner with spirit in a deeper way, then everything has meaning. There's no mistakes. All of a sudden, the bus goes by, and there's the message we've been waiting for months for. Oh, yeah. Just do it. Hmm. You're richer than you think. What a great commercial, isn't it? Scotiabank. I'm going to go in there and see how much money they're holding for me right now. <laughs> I don't have an account there, but I know there's money waiting for me there. But there's a much deeper knowing as possible from the consciousness deep within. He said it's all about this, this examination within. And we know that. And how, so how do, we, how do we get there? And he said one of the things that he, he discovered in, in this uh, experience was, number one, is that how powerful meditation is. Now, uh, I got to tell you that it, it, I was just so delighted to, I, there's a number of things online, and you can go on and find him on YouTube and all kinds of great stuff. I actually uh, purchased one of his online uh, seminars, his four-part four seminar. And he talks about the power of meditation. And he talks about working with some of the researchers, and I know this is not new technology, but it's starting to emerge on the planet. But they have found that if you meditate to, to uh, two different frequencies at the same time, one is slightly off from the other. It's about four SHSs, whatever, SHZs, Hertzes. Is that a Hertz? Is that what Hertz? Okay, Hertz, we'll go with that. I always thought Hertz was a rental car, but we'll go with Hertz. Anyway, 
But if it's off by about four calibrations, it has a capacity to open up, uh, it accelerates the opportunity and opens the threshold of that that, um, realm that he experienced. And so what he does now daily is he spends two to three hours in meditation listening to this sound. He's, he's partnered with a, a couple of people. It's called sacredacoustics.com if you're interested. And I'll play some of it next week. We'll play a short portion of it so you can experience it. But what it does is a calibration and as you sit in meditation, it has a tendency to shut down that little voice. You know that little voice that's always saying can't, shouldn't, you're, oh, you did that. I hope nobody finds out you did that. That little guy... See, in order for meditation to be effective, that little guy has to go sit in the corner. Doesn't mean we don't love him. I mean, that, that little guy has been so, or little girl, has been so important in our journey. But to have the awareness, part of spiritual practice is to be able to sit with that and go, no, 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 not right now. You go sit down. Go sit in the corner. And open ourselves up to that experience. And he talks about that. Because as we deepen in that relationship, which I believe Dr. Holmes was talking about, as well, all of a sudden the capacity and the opportunity for greater and greater experiences shows up. So another, another way he talks about it is centering prayer, which I love when I heard that. You know, I had not studied any of his stuff in depth until I started preparing this material. But he talks about the power of centering prayer, which looks like there's one life, that life is God's life, that life is perfect, that life is my life now. And I call it forth in my experience right here and right now. That is just powerful, powerful, sacred intention. And, and centering prayer that my life is God's life, that I live at the, center of, at the center of this divine presence is centered in me. Just such powerful, powerful work. And then the last practice he said is desperation. Anybody here ever been desperate? Nobody, that's fantastic. I'll talk about it next week with a new group then. But desperation is, the real desperation is that point in our lives where we reach where we just say, man, I can't do this anymore. There's, this is just too painful. I cannot go on. I can't take another step. And I can speak to this from experience. That one of, some of the most mystical experiences in my life have been when I've been brought to my knees and realized, you know, I don't know if I can continue with this. And then all of a sudden this overwhelming sense of peace and, and uh, everything is all is well has come over me. And it had been those few moments when I read that about desperation, I went right back into my memory banks. I went into the file and, oh, I remember that time. Where I was like, you know what? I know this feels terrible. I don't know what's going to come, but I know I'm going to get through this. And he said, that awakens. That's that part of us, that divinity that lives within all of us that is at, at that deep level. See, we're always immersed in this. I think we have these experiences all day long. I think we're having this deep, higher realm experience all day long. It's just so, it's so short sometimes because all of a sudden that little voice is once again bringing us back in to let us know where we're messing up. Or what, because that little voice, its job, that little voice's job is fear and anxiety. Isn't that great to know that we have a little guy there or a little girl there, it's, its job is fear and anxiety. And through spiritual practice, be able to say, not right now, sweetheart, love you, thank you so much, I got it, I got it under control. Thank you so much. You're just working way too hard. The, the healthy adult, the awake, centered, grounded, healthy adult is here now. And I'm going to handle this for a while. But if we need to go into fear and anxiety, I will bring you right back into my awareness. How many of you did that this morning? I did that when I didn't think my vehicle was going to start. And then I went out and started it. I said, see, I told you. I plugged it in. 
So, meditation, centering prayer, and desperation can be powerful tools, as he said. And the next slide, he said his experience was a clarion call to meditation. There's a wonderful story by Esther Hicks, who does the Abraham work that I, I, you know, I love and appreciate her, her wisdom. And she tells a story about her and Jerry, and I believe it's Jerry's daughter that wanted a new car. And so um, Esther says, you know, let's, why don't we help her out and just buy her the car? And uh, Jerry said, hmm, let me think about that. So they asked Abraham, who's the, the, that group energy that she uh, communicates with and shares with us. And Abraham said, no, I think you should just let her have her own experience with this. And so they didn't help. They let her find the car. They let her come up with the financing to buy the car. And lo and behold, through their standing by in love and knowing the highest and best for her, she did all that. She did it all on her own. They empowered her to do all this. Because isn't it your tendency as a parent to just want to make it easier for your kids? Anybody here like that except me? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's do it all for them. Which really cripples them. But we think we're loving them because what it does, it makes us feel better. Doesn't do anything for them, but it makes us feel better. It's very interesting how that whole thing works. So anyway, they let her do her thing. She went online. She found this beautiful red Acura. It was about 250 miles away from where they lived. She said, could you drive me there? I found the right and perfect car. I, want it. I just can't wait to get there. They go. She pays her money, and they're following her back. They were in some place in Arizona. They were heading back to Phoenix. And Esther looked at Jerry as they were following her, and she said, I don't know about this, if I'm seeing things, but it looks like that car is like one foot off the ground. She was so happy. She felt so empowered she's, that she had done this all on her own. And, 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 and so it was such a great experience for them as well to step back and honor the divinity and honor the capability and that which was growing within the person that they loved. So there wasn't you know, that whole idea that you can give someone a fish to eat for the day or you can teach them how to fish. Same idea. I mean, that is a highest act of love. And that's hard to do sometimes when those we love, we want to make it easier. Man, I've seen it. I've been there. So, as he says, when he goes into meditation, even Alexander coming back, first thing he does is states an intention. So, going into meditation states an intention, and not an intention that I'm going to demonstrate this or demonstrate that. I'm going to win the lottery. There's a wonderful little segment in this DVD I was watching of Esther, and this woman gets up, she says, you know, I am just so ready to win the lottery. I just know I'm going to win the lottery. And Abraham looks at her and says, well, what are the odds of that? What are the odds of that? I mean, that we, we do live in a realm of time-space continuum, and there is such a thing as odds when it comes to things like that. What are the odds of that? And then she said, why do you want to win this? And she said, well, you know, if I, had, if I had money, I could help everyone. And Abraham said, well, what's keeping you from helping everybody right now? Why couldn't you just help people whether you had the money or not? And it wasn't that she was putting her down about wanting to win the lottery, but she had this whole thing trying to talk herself into it. And what she said, which was so poignant, she said, when you create the feeling tone of the experience, when you live in the consciousness of divine abundance to realize everything is here to support us, which it is, and everything that we allow into our experience shows up, which it does, but to create that feeling tone, and the woman said, well, if I create the feeling tone, then I won't want the, the lottery, and Abraham said, when you create the feeling tone, what my teacher used to say, when you create the consciousness of the thing, same thing I learned as a student in this teaching, when you create the consciousness of the thing, you cannot help but move into the experience. When you create the consciousness of the young girl that's longing for the car, the perfect right car for her, that's the right and perfect color at the right and perfect price, and it's geographically desirable, 
whatever that is, you cannot help but find it. See, that's why the consciousness work for me is so important. So what do we grow from here? We've been here 30 years. Where do we go from here? Well, what is being called? So and I guess what the thing that fascinates me is I look at everything in my life as such a huge opportunity. And so then when I look at it, it's not, it's not about longing so much as understanding that and, and being in that place of setting an intention to say infinite divine intelligence that is, is guiding and supporting and directing me in everything. What must I become to grow into and express and stretch into what is the highest and best of greatest service for life? See, then, and so it's a day-to-day thing. Okay, here, it, so what is it today? And sometimes I think I'm all done forgiving people. Sometimes I think like, man, I, I, just, I just love everyone. And then I see somebody, and I go, oh, wait a minute, hmm. And it's just seeing somebody at times that you get triggered. Anybody get triggered like that, get hooked? You got it down, man, you're walking around like Jesus Christ himself, and the Buddha. Oh, I am just the best, God and me. Until I see so-and-so. Oh, darn it. But that's it. We're in and out, we're up and down. And, and so the, those hooks become less and less acute. They become subtler. But for me, it's all about this inner transformation. I get it. I tr- totally get it. My life's eternal. I've showed up here. I feel so blessed to have this opportunity that each week, I'm telling you, if I did not have this opportunity, I would not be reading and studying like I do. It's as if the divine intelligence said, buddy, you need the fast course, the intensive and here you go. We're going we're gonna to guide you right along to ministry. <sighs> really? There's something easier I can do. Couldn't I be like president of Google? <laughs> I think I'd learn a lot as president of Google. My journey's my journey. But he says, state the intention. Then he says, go into gratitude and send that still small voice to the timeout. On the next slide, I borrowed some of this from Esther, but I think it is so potent, and I just described some of it to you, is matching the vibration of the desired result. In the first of these four weeks of this study course that I've been, I've been looking at with Eamon Alexander, he said that everything is vibration, and we are. We are all vibration. We're all vibrating at a frequency. And he talks about the potency of the music. So when I, I said at the earlier service, and it happened for me again today, the beautiful harmonies. I mean, the music I don't think has ever been more beautiful here than today. Just gorgeous. Thank you, Brown, and thank you. Peggy and Corey and, and Teresa and Anna and Kelly and, and the two Toms. We have two Toms back there. Tom on the drums and Tom on the bass. So Tom, Tom and Tom. But anyway, sounds like they're running up here right now. But, but when we, so music can lift us. Music is a practice. And so Evan has been doing a lot of research with sound engineers that help open this, this, uh, this space. So the imagine, as Esther would say, and as my teacher would say, imagine the feeling tone of the desired result and embody it and work with it. This is what this would feel like, complete freedom. Our divine nature is freedom. It's alive in us, as Dr. Holmes would say. And so how can I cap, tap into that? Despite conditions. It's easy to do it when nobody's around us and we're not running into people that challenge us. But to, to be able to, to embody that feeling tone, to practice it frequently, to become free enough to stay where we are so that we're free enough to go. That's the paradox. Jeez, I'd love to live in. Because, I mean, for, take it for granted that if we, if we all had it, it's like I love what Esther says to this woman on the a lottery. She said, this longing for you is the same idea that why would you want to have all the food that you're ever going to eat in your life right now? 
I thought, wow, what a great question. Abundance is living, what I believe it is, is, is we don't need it till we need it. And so understanding and trusting in the universe that what needs to show up will be readily available in each good time. I didn't share this at the first one, but I wanted to, so obviously you guys are the ones I need to share this with because you're at a higher calibration than those guys at the early service. They, <laughs> don't tell them that, okay? We love them all, and you know, I'm just goofing. And now I forgot it. Oh, what I know about this is, what I know about this is, and this is an agreement that I've struck with this divine in, in, infinite intelligence, and all I have to do is, is, is agree to the, to the what. I don't even know what the how. I don't need to understand all this because it is a mystery. Doc, even Alexander came back from this, it's a mystery. We don't know. But what I know is that I set an intention to, to grow into something or to be open and available to the next knowing for myself, for my own evolution and my own transformation. My subconscious is always working on it. It's working on it now. As I'm talking to you, I'm being worked on and you are too. And I know that because we are surrounded by this army of lightworkers, unseen lightworkers that want nothing more than a greater expression of life. It's like they say in the Jewish tradition that every blade of grass has an angel standing over it saying, grow, grow, grow. And that's true for me. I know that's true for me. I, you know, it's like... Many times I'll ask, and if, I, if I'm not clear in setting an intention, I'll end up bringing like four talks with me on a Sunday. And so then I have to say, well, thank you so much for providing me with all the material I need for the next month, but I just need a certain portion. So then I filter it down, filter it down, filter it down. But I'm always fascinated by it, because usually around Thursday, around four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, I gotta go find it another job. I got nothing. I'm in trouble. I wonder if I just read the textbook to him for uh, 45 minutes, if that'll work. I got nothing. But I also have a standing agreement that, that this infinite divine intelligence continues to guide me. And one of the things that I, why, why I know this other realm is so powerful is that many times when I'm stuck, I have to go take a nap. And in the nap, all of a sudden, I'll have a dream. And the dream will lead me to a story. Or the night before, as I go to bed on a Saturday, I'll say just thank you so much, Infinite Divine Intelligence, for providing me with a valuable story that will help create an illustration that can be impactful. So there's a bit of traction for you as well as for myself. Because if I just speak theoretically, I don't tell a story, we tend to lose a lot of it. And so I'm always fascinated by that. And I'm always so grateful for it. It's like, man, oh man, thank you. Because I didn't know where I was going to look for work. So, eventually, eventually the universe starts to look like a great thought rather than a great machine. And that comes from, from uh, James Jean, great philosopher. I think it says a gray thought up there, but it's supposed to be great. That was just me testing you and seeing if you're paying attention on the, the PowerPoints. I was going to change that, but it didn't get changed. Thank you, auto spell check. Anyway, next slide talks about the little voice. The little voice is not our friend. It uses fear and anxiety, and there's a picture of a coyote paddling a canoe. Many of the great mystical traditions have a trickster. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the one from Mexico that Don Miguel Ruiz uses all the time. Um, I'll, I'll think of it in a half an hour, so. I'll talk about it next week. <clears throat> oh, Coco Pele. Coco Pele is a trickster. But it's, it ties in beautifully with this, this egoic voice that is always telling us this is reality, when the larger reality, as Dr. Even Alexander said, it is so vast, it is non-local. That's what Holmes understood when he talked about affirmative prayer. We don't have to sit in the same room and hold each other's hands. 
that we can know something for one another at that quantum level, but what's important about that knowing about our prayer work is that we're in that state of awareness, that we are in that neighborhood. Otherwise, we're just announcing. We're just announcing. And there's nothing wrong with announcing because announcing means we're practicing to step through. But you know when you're there. You know when you're grounded and connected with spirit. And when, when, when that infinite divine intelligence is, is working and operating through you in your everyday life, when you're driving to a destination, when you're reading a book, when you're having a conversation, you know that. And that's a beautiful thing. So it's not, there's nothing wrong with announcing, but announcing is, is the stepping off point, the, the portal that brings us to the, to the threshold of stepping into it. There's a picture, next slide I wanna show you. So even Alexander talks about when he's in this coma and he's in the realms. And, and he didn't, couldn't recognize because of his cortex being shut down, he couldn't recognize who was supporting him and who was, was guiding him. And so when he was there, he realized that there were people, he could see people that he didn't recognize. They were actually his brothers and sisters and, the, and uh, mom and, and all the people that loved him. And they were praying. He could see people praying, which helped bring him back. And as he started to come back, once he realized that there was, this realm was not for him right now, as he started to come back, he went less and less higher in the realms. He said it was very interesting. That he was not able to access some of the higher realms. But the whole time he was there, when this light descended upon him and the music started, there was this beautiful presence now, he was adopted as a young boy, as a baby. His mother and dad were young, a young couple, and their powers that be around them said, no, you're too young for this. You need to put this baby up for adoption. And the state that he was raised in and born in was very restrictive about information being passed back and forth between birth parents and adopted parents. So he, for years, he struggled and tried to find his uh, birth parents. And after this experience, <clears throat> through a series of events, he discovered who they were, and he found out that he had sisters and brothers from that family, and that this, the, the mom and dad, though young, had gone on to be very successful. Uh, his birth father was a, a prominent military man and, and had done wonderful things, and his birth mom as well. But they had had a daughter that had passed away. And so when he was in this ultra realm, this presence was with him the whole time. And he came back, and he met his birth family, and they showed a picture of the sister that had passed away. And he said, oh my gosh, that is, the, that is the image and likeness of the presence that guided me through all these realms. So here it was his birth sister that had passed on that showed up in love to guide and, and nurture him through this experience. And I, so this was her picture. He saw it and went, oh my gosh, there she is. I thought, how fascinating, how beautiful. Next slide is Dr. Holmes. And Dr. Holmes had such beautiful things to say. Spirituality, we mean the world of conscious intelligence, that we get to choose how we're going to participate in this. And as we do this deepening, Dr. Holmes, the quote I selected today and a picture of him is, the mind which we discover within us is the mind that governs everything. This is our access. And he said the reason that, and, and Holmes said this in 19, early 1900s, over, probably over 100 years ago, the, what happens with this deepening in consciousness, with, with widening the filter, is that there's the acquisition of new powers and higher possibilities. New powers and higher possibilities. It's so exciting what's happening on the planet. And there's so many good people. There's so many wonderful things happening. I know that, that Mandy's uh, trap is sitting over here, and Mandy has helped us with some of our meditations at our first service, and also her commitment to introducing meditation into schools for younger kids. And even Alexander will say the same thing. Uh, Jonathan Zins, 
a wonderful researcher from Harvard that has been a, an advocate of meditation for over 20 years now. And they're introducing it into certain school programs. He's actually gotten alliances with congressmen and senators in the U.S. And they're bringing it into schools. This, this, this deep and wonderful practice of meditation. And what a, what a refreshing thing, what an inspiring thing to realize that, my God, you know, that people are actually getting this, that we know that in order to shift and change the outer conditions of our lives, we get the, we get the opportunity and the joy of shifting and changing within us, our inner life. And that's such a beautiful thing. So this week, as you go through it, oh, I wanted to, to share one last thing with you, and then I'll, we'll, we'll have some more music. But Holmes said this in the beginning of our Science of Mind textbook. He said, we find ourselves torn by confusion, by conflict, by, by affirmation and denial, by emotion congested by fear, congealed by pride. We are afraid of the universe in which we live, suspicious of people around us, uncertain of the salvation of our own souls. All these things negatively react and cause physical discord and disorders. Nature seems to await our comprehension of her, and since she is governed by immutable laws, the ignorance of which excuses no one from their effects, the bondage of humanity must be a result of our ignorance of the true nature of reality. So it's just waking up. It's just understanding that that little voice, that, that niggly, negative, anxious voice going on, we're hardwired for that, but it's not who we are. It's just part of who we are. It's like I said last week, it's like getting into the car and all of a sudden a song is playing and we can't stand. How many of us would just keep listening to it until it was over? We changed the channel. The same thing with that little voice. I don't listen to this anymore. Thank you so much. It's time for a timeout. And eventually that beautiful, lovely little voice will sit in timeout all the time. It's a lovely thing. So I'm just, I, I am just, I, I stand with you in eager anticipation of what's happening upon this planet. There are so many good things unfolding we're giving birth to. And part of it is the contrast. Part of what's inspiring all of us is we look at the world, we look at what I just read that Holmes talked about, and we realize that this is not what I stand for. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invest myself in this deep and beautiful and wonderful relationship. Next week, if you're looking, once again, sacredacoustics.com, there's a number of recordings there. Some of them are free that you can listen to. It helps open that pathway and accelerate that connection with that divine realm, that infinite realm that all of us have come from. So let us all widen this filter a bit this week in a beautiful, wonderful way. So I celebrate you. I thank you. Happy New Year. And I look forward to the joys and wonders that reveal themselves. So it is.